probably going, okay, we get it. You want to talk about names tonight? You bet I do. I've been waiting for this all year. Uh, not just because of the one name we're going to study, but because of what names actually mean. Names are important on a lot of levels. It's not just how we identify ourselves, but if you really stop to think about it, names kind of tell a story. In fact, so much time and thought is put into proper names, when we don't quite get them right, they can really send people off. And if you don't believe me, then just forget somebody's name. And I'll be the first to admit, um, I can remember an entire sermon, but a lot of times, as soon as you tell me, my, tell me your name, I, I turn around and forget it. I, I don't know what it is about names, they just they don't click and I have to work at it. Or if you think names aren't really that important, then call somebody by the wrong name and see how they feel about that. It really ticks them off, especially if it's your own kids and you start calling them one of the other children's names. I heard it all the time from my sons. I'm not blah, blah, blah. Okay, I get it. All right, names are that important that expectant parents will spend days, weeks, months agonizing over the right name for their expected child. And there's a lot of work that actually has to go into picking a name and a lot of things to think about. Um, for one thing, if you choose a first and last, or I'm sorry, a first and middle name, of course the last name is given, a lot of times people will think about, okay, what is the acronym of the initials for their three names? And sometimes people can see, oh, that'll be a problem, and sometimes they don't. I've got a friend whose initials are KKK, and you can expect he doesn't like to use that as an acronym for his identity. Okay, that's important. Another thing is parents a lot of times will spend a great deal of time picking a name because they're concerned about how nicknames develop. And if you don't choose the right name or, or if a family doesn't like nicknames, they want to choose a name that's short enough or simple enough that it doesn't turn into a nickname like Freddy or, or Fido or, or whatever. They chose a name, they want that name. Which then begs the question, and I'll take any uh, guesses on your part, do any of you know what the most popular boy's name and the most popular girl's name was for 2021? Raise your hand so I can see where it's coming from because my hearing's not that great. Anybody? Come on. We've got to have a guess here. Alex, Alex is a boy's name. Is that boy or girl? I, okay. That was, <laughs> so in this age of we're not sure about gender. All right. Let's try another one. Olivia? Not bad. Not bad. Let's take one more. What was that? Jackson, okay. You're gonna be surprised by this list. I mean, I was blown away. As you look at these, Oliver? That's, that's just, that's not a common name. Some of these, yeah. When's the last time you heard a girl named Hazel? I mean, some of these names are very old school. I, I haven't seen them or heard them for a long time. And then as you scan the list, many others of them, they're, they're quite unique, Finn or Asher, okay? So people will actually go through these trends of what's a popular name, what isn't. And then the biggest thing lately is you might pick a common name and then you'll give it a kind of a goofy or crazy spelling. Somehow that sets it apart. At any rate, hopefully I've made the point, the serious point that names are vitally important and they matter. And so a great deal of time and energy is put into choosing names. Now when it comes to the naming of our savior, he has got a multitude of names but you and I both know that the most popular one, the one that most people will say, is the name Jesus. And while I could have chosen that name as the one we'd study tonight, we really don't have enough time because we could spend hours, quite literally days, 
on the name Jesus. So we're going to take a look at a different name, but I don't want to dishonor or too quickly dismiss the importance of the name Jesus, but it's just one of many names. See if any of these don't ring a bell. help define us. Some are descriptions. Some are titles. But the reason for so many names is that the Bible is meant to reveal who God is. To show us what He is like. Teach us what he has done. But the name, which is above every name, is the name of Jesus. I wonder how many times a day the name Jesus is actually spoken by people, both those who trust in Christ as their Savior and, and those who don't. Unfortunately, sometimes the name is, is misused. And I'm a firm believer that God has wisely chosen the names for our Savior because if you really think it through, every name tells a story. Uh, words have meanings. And one of the most irksome things to me uh, today, one of the most bothersome things is, is when words are taken and they're misused or, or people actually try to change the meaning of a word, just like people have done for centuries with the name Jesus. I wonder how many of you, and no show of hands, but how many of us actually know what the name Jesus means. Jesus is actually the most common version of a more popular name, Joshua. And Joshua is the English version of the Hebrew name Yeshua, a, a, a name for God. And Yeshua is actually from the verb Yasha, and it simply means to save, to rescue, deliver, or to set one free. So if you've never been told why we call our Savior Jesus, it's because of this. It's a perfect description of what our Savior came to do. And I like to think of him in terms of our rescuer, the champion who shows up to save the day, to save us, sometimes from the day, from ourselves and from the sins of each other. Now, again, we could spend a great deal of time with this name, but I think instead what I'd like to do is take a look at that name. And it comes from maybe one of the most famous Old Testament passages about the prophecy of the coming Savior, the book of Isaiah, the ninth chapter, verse 6. And we're going to work through this together tonight because I've tried to represent to you that this name has been mistranslated. That's maybe not the right word. The words are right but they're used incorrectly. And in past Christmas services, and as Pastor Abrahamson was working his way uh, through the ranks, I would tell him, well, when you get to that reading, I want you to change it to read it this way. And tonight I finally get a chance to explain why. Because names do mean something, and they each tell a story. And tonight I'd like to share that story of this name 
with you. To do that, what we actually have to do is go back in time some 700 plus years before Jesus was born on that very first Christmas to the time of Isaiah the prophet when the nation of Israel was really kind of spinning out of control. They were falling deeper and deeper into the sin of idolatry, worshiping idols, and uh, the nation itself was becoming very corrupt, so much so that God calls Isaiah and he says, I want you to go to my people and deliver a message, and that message was going to be judgment. God says, because of your turning away from me, you should fully expect that somewhere in your future, judgment will come your way and foreign armies will destroy your cities and you will end up spending captivity in foreign lands. It was a hard message for Isaiah to have to deliver to God's people, but he told it faithfully and what he said was true. But he was also privileged by God to deliver another message that if they should repent of their sins and turn back to the Lord, then God said, I will send you a rescuer. I will send somebody to set you free from those sins and to release you not only from the bondage spiritually of your sinfulness, but somebody then ultimately to bring you back into the family of God. And of course, that's the name that we say and understand today is the name of our Savior, Jesus. Because he not only set Israel free from their sins, but he set this entire world free from the sins that hold us in bondage and slavery and ultimately restores a relationship with our creator God and makes our lives what God had always hoped and wanted them to be. Now, in order for the nation of Israel to recognize this redeemer, this rescuer, Isaiah is privileged to speak the prophecy of his birth. And you will notice that both coming before this name and then coming after are certain descriptors, which would help the nation of Israel recognize him when he arrived, but then also to give thanks and praise to God for the promise that he had made, a covenant, one that we reviewed in our first lesson, first with the father of the nation of the Jews, Abraham, and then ultimately all the way through Abraham's line until that day when Jesus was born on this earth. What we're going to do is kind of pull this one passage apart and see why Pastor Crozy has such a problem with the way that this name has been translated. And not, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I know for many of you, if you were at all like me in my upbringing, you probably memorized this verse, probably got up in front of a church full of people and said your part in some Christmas pageant or play, and I'm going to suspect that it's pretty ingrained in our minds. So what I'm not suggesting is that you run home after church tonight, cross this out in your Bibles, and then make all the other changes that we're going to talk about. I have no uh, fantasies that I'm going to undo uh, hundreds of years of this translation. But I would like you to see why of all of the descriptions that Isaiah says to his people about a rescuer, this is the first name in the list of names or the list of descriptions of the one who would come to set us free. The first thing we have to notice how Isaiah says it, and that's to take a look at the context. Because if you look through the book of Isaiah, most of it is what's known as a Hebrew narrative. It's line after line after line of commentary and communication much like we would find in our books today. But then all of a sudden, in the midst of this narrative, Isaiah switches his format to Hebrew poetry. Now, when you open your Bible to Isaiah 9, the way in which it's easily recognizable for us is the printers actually shorten up the lines and put them in this verse fashion, not unlike stanzas to a hymn or stanzas to a poem. But Hebrew poetry isn't noted by how it rhymes, or couplets the way we would do in our language, there's other ways in which Hebrew poetry would catch the ear 
of a Hebrew-speaking person. And that's important to understand because originally they were hearers and not readers. This message wasn't recorded down until later, until Isaiah had actually spoken it to his people. And so there's certain elements in this one passage that sends up a flag going, you need to listen to this. What I'm telling you is vitally important. I'm talking about the birth of your rescuer. And so one of the first things he does is he makes use of uh, this melodic language. And unfortunately, we don't have it in our language, but in Hebrew, it stands out like a sore thumb. Unto you a child is born. And in the Hebrew language, it's the same word used twice with just different forms. Yalad, yalad. Yalad, yalad. Yalad, yalad. If you're working away and all of a sudden there's a prophet off to the side and you hear this melodic language, it almost compels you to stop. Maybe cup your ear and, okay, I need to hear this. What is he saying? And then to reinforce that, he makes another use that we often find in Hebrew poetry. It's known as parallelism. Basically, he says the very same thing twice, just using different words. Yalad, yalad. And then he goes on to say, a son is given. It's the same thing as line one, but especially for those who might not have been paying attention right away, they get a repeat line to go, oh, this prophet guy is talking to us about somebody's birth. Well, what is it? Then he employs one other thing, and it's in this third line. Hebrew language uses a lot of pictures, but especially Hebrew poetry takes it to the next level. And then all of a sudden, he, Isaiah is drawing a picture for these people about this baby that's going to be born into the world who's supposed to rescue mankind. Now, I'm going to be real honest with you. I never liked the translation, the government will be on his shoulders. And again, if you memorize this passage as a kid, the first thought I had was, well, what does that mean? And then as I got a little bit older, I'm going, oh, okay, so Jesus is going to come in the world and the government's going to hassle him. It's going to kind of be on his back. And that kind of makes sense because obviously the Sanhedrin had him arrested, they persecuted him, and ultimately they made use of the Roman government to execute Jesus. But that's not at all what it means. The word for government is actually the word meaning to have power to rule or dominion on his shoulders. It talks about the yoke. He's going to carry great power. What the author is saying, what Isaiah is telling the people is, watch for the birth of a baby, and he's no ordinary child. He's actually going to be of royal birth. What I'm telling you about is the birth of a king. All right? We've established what the situation is. Now what we actually should do is go to the lines describing after this confusing name, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I'm not going to suggest that's wrong translations. The words are all right, but it's just one of many words that you could choose for these originals. And again, I'm going to guess it's very ingrained in your head. Every Christmas, we usually hear the Isaiah prophecy, and these are the words that we recognize. So I'm not trying to mess with your romantic idea of the Christmas story. But I would like to point out, these can stand alone as names, but the way it's written in their context, these three phrases actually end up modifying this name that has been so confusing. And maybe it'll help if I actually retranslate each of these for you or give you more literal translations. So mighty God. We know what God is. We're talking about a divine being. And this term for mighty is describing a champion or a warrior. God himself is going to fight on your behalf, nation of Israel. And then of course, since he's God, he can't be beat. He will be victorious. It's like a guaranteed victory. Everlasting father. And again, that didn't make sense to me because why would the birth of a son 
somehow then change over to be calling him everlasting father. So everlasting, he's going to be eternal. Again, it's a reference to this is God who's going to be born into human flesh. But probably better than father is the translation, the head of the household. It's referencing to one who leads the family. And if you think about it, in the New Testament, that's exactly how our Savior is described. The head of the church, the head of the body of believers. It's a superior illustration that Isaiah is trying to draw for the people so that they can get a better handle on what is this wonderful counselor, if that's even what we should be calling him. And then last but not least, Prince of Peace and again, Prince is an acceptable translation, but he just got done saying he's going to be a king. He's not just going to be next in line. He's actually going to rule over you. He's going to rule your lives. Better's ruler or steward, manager of peace. And you know what peace is. It's when you take two opposing parties and you bring them back together. And the way that the Hebrews understood Prince of Peace or the steward of God's promise of reconciliation was that first lesson, the covenant they had made with Abraham and his people, the agreement, the promise, that one day I'm going to make it possible for holy God and sinful man to be reunited. This is the person who's going to do that. Again, don't misunderstand. These can be separate names, and oftentimes they're used that way. But the way Isaiah is drawing this picture, he's actually saying all three of these help us to understand then what is this special name, the first name that Isaiah uses to reference the birth of Jesus Christ. Well, finally, let's take a look at it. You see, the problem is not the words that they choose, but the order in which they're chosen. And what they've done is they've actually taken the noun and made it an adjective, made it the modifier, and they've taken the adjective or the modifier and turned it into the subject. It's exactly backwards, and that's one of the beauties of the languages which God chose to write down his word. They're very precise. And unlike the English language, where you have to work through a whole bunch of garbage like two, two, and two, or there, or there, or there, okay? The Hebrew language tells a whole story with one word. It shouldn't be wonderful counselor. It should be counselor of wonders or a counseling wonder. Okay, thank you, Pastor. Now we got it right even though I burst your little bubble of the Isaiah 9 passage. But what is a counselor of wonders? What does this name actually mean? Well, a counselor, the word for that is to advise, to consult. We get that. But it has also a second meaning as well. Depending upon the context and how it's used, it can talk about somebody who will actually fix the problem. Either he's going to give you guidance and direction, or he's going to actually take a hold of the problem and solve it himself. Now, in that light, the wonder, and a lot of times people will think of miracles, and it can sometimes be used that way, but literally it's talking about something out of the ordinary, something separate or set apart, something distinguished from the normal day-to-day, and it covers both ends of the spectrum. Either we're talking about something really cool, like God's amazing blessings to us in our lives, or we're talking about the problems and troubles that sin has brought into our life. Both qualify when we're talking about wonders. Because sometimes you can see God literally working your life and be blown away by, man, that is amazing. Or then you can turn around and have maybe the worst day of your life and go, man, that's amazing. I can't even believe that just happened to me. 
Either one applies here. So why does Isaiah call our rescuer the counselor of wonders? Because either he guides us and directs us to fully appreciate all of God's blessings, all the examples and all the portrayal of God's love in our lives, or he solves the problem of what sin has done to us. They're opposite sides of the same coin, if you will. That this counselor of wonders is the only one who can do this. No human king could accomplish what this promised child came to do. No prince, no wise man could do the things that this promised child would do because only Jesus Christ, only this counselor of wonders could actually rescue us from the very things that have isolated and separated us from each other and from God himself. Now, of course, Jesus is the name that we all think of. And probably in a week from now, you won't even remember, oh yeah, it's Counselor of Wonders. But whatever name we choose, we describe God's promise of a Savior who came to set us free, to rescue us, to deliver us. And as important as that name is, and as beautiful of a story as that tells, please do not too quickly forget the other story that the counselor of wonders will either hand deliver to us from God the Father the miracles that we need to make our way through this life or he will actually take the problem to himself and solve it because you and I cannot and if you have any thought or any inkling that maybe names just don't matter that much then just ask any one of these what the name counselor of wonders means to them and hopefully now, what it can mean to you too. What name could contain such a glory? In the cool breezes of Eden, brought from the infant earth, one arose, the voice of his creator speaking his identity to life. Adam, man, as heaven waited short with bread, the Creator spoke yet another, Eve, mother of all the living. So it was with Abraham, named in the promise as the father of nation. The name set the stage for all that was to come. And unto us a child was born. And what name could contain his glory? For he was mighty God, as the universe gasped into being flinging rays of light from his presence to pierce the void, to shatter the shadows to a tapestry of color. And he is mighty God, shattering our darkness, revealing our light, our truth in him. He was everlasting father when orphaned Israel needed a father's touch. When we, with grief-stricken cheeks, need the embrace of one who never leaves, when we have lost our way to dark horizons, it is our everlasting Father who lights the way home. He is Prince of Peace. When, like Elijah, we need the still small voice in the turmoil's midst. When, like David, we need the melodies of his presence to soothe our troubled minds. He is sanctuary within our trials, shepherd guiding us to still waters. And yes, he is wonderful counselor. God who gives counsel in the chaos, 
crafting disorder into calm and failure into beauty. He is a voice for the voiceless. He is dignity for the stateless soul. It is he who raised up a lowly shepherd to become a king. He who took the fishermen of Galilee and made them leaders of history. It is the counselor who redeems our lost years, breaking chains that have kept dreams imprisoned and joy confined. The name reaches across eternity, exclaimed by the splendors of galaxies, sung by the passions of angels, roared in heaven's fervor, exalted in creation's unfettered rejoicing. What name could contain him? What title? What soul renowned? For this is our wonderful counselor. This is our mighty God. This is our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. What name could contain Emmanuel, God with us, Yahweh, the Great I Am. What name could contain the Word of Life, the Light of the World, the King of Kings, the Lord of All. We bow to the name that holds every other in its matchless worth. What name could contain such a glory? What name but Jesus? We cry Jesus. We cry holy is Jesus.